Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast and the Class. Breakfast and the Class today uh, is sponsored and dedicated in loving memory of uh, Rachel Haruni, Leilui Nishmat Rachel Bat Moshe, sponsored by the Haruni family. <clears throat> as well, dedicated for the speedy and complete refuashlema of Yosef Abraham and Yocheved, sponsored by Ruti and Rafi Fuzailov. And dedicated for the refuashlema of Eliyahu Ben Esther, uh, sponsored, oi, uh, dedicated, excuse me, Leilui Nishmat Eliyahu Ben Esther, sponsored by his son, Joey Jerome. And as well, dedicated in loving memory, uh, and Leilui Nishmat Mahin Bat Asher, sponsored by the Hurizadeh family. As well, Rabotai, uh, we also have breakfast in the class dedicated in loving memory of Angela and, Mo- and, Mo- and uh, Moshe Shohet. Alehem HaShalom Lilu Nishmatem, Moshe Haron Ben Lulu, and Angel Bat Lulu, sponsored by the son Haron Shohet, our wonderful and dedicated Gabai. And as well, in loving memory, Lilu Nishmat Yikutiel Yehuda Ben Aftalei Tzvi, Alehem HaShalom, whose Askara is this week, and in honor of the birthday of Gittel Bat Miriam, sponsored anonymously, Mabruk, on the, uh, on the, on the uh, birthday. Uh, breakfast in the class is well dedicated in loving memory of Rivka Nahamayas, Lilun Shmat Rebkabat Bihiyeh, sponsored by her son Albert Avraham Nahamayas, and as well dedicated in loving memory of Lilun Shmat Yehoshua Ayelev Ben Yonatan Chaim Akohem, sponsored by Liam Skop, and uh, finally dedicated in loving memory of Marco Defunis, Alava Shalom, Lilun Shmat Mordechai Ben Avraham, Alava Shalom, and his Askara, sponsored by the Defunis family. Uh, that was uh, a lot of wonderful uh, uh, dedications. Okay, Rabotai. I want to share with you something amazing um, and as well uh, something that happened, a miraculous occurrence that happened only, uh, only yesterday. But first, let me draw your attention to the, to the Pasuk I want to learn together today. The Pasuk says, Barishon, on the first day, the first month, yom on the 14th day of the first month, in the evening, Tochelu Matzot. We have an obligation to eat matzot. Now, what's interesting is that on this mitzvah, we are taught, ushmartem etam matzot. Not only do you have to eat them, you also have to guard them. And what does it mean, ushmartem? You have to guard the matzot. So there's numerous halachot that are learned from that with regards to guarding the matzot that they do not become hametz. But as well, our rabbis interpret this halacha, this, um, this pasuk, excuse me, into a dirasha, into a, a, almost an, ex- an exhortation. Ushmartem et matzot, make sure you guard the matzot. The word matzot is the same word as the word mitzvot. Meaning a person has to guard the mitzvot that come to his or her hands. Guard the mitzvot, mitzvah haba liadecha, a mitzvah that comes to your hand, Al tachmitzena, don't chametz it. What does that mean? You leave something too long, flour and water mixed together. What happens to that mixture? It becomes chametz. Unless you quickly move it along, you get it done. It becomes chametz. So too a mitzvah that's sitting in your property, that's sitting in your ability to be able to achieve, and you don't get it done. What happens? The mitzvah becomes chametz. Ushmartem at the mitzvot. You should guard. The mitzvot, mitzvah habali yadecha, mitzvah that comes to your hand, al tachmitzena, don't let it become hametz. So I want to share, what does this mean? What is this idea of al tachmitzena? Because I always thought this was so interesting. Tachmitzena means, it's almost like a verb. Like you made it hametz. With hametz, if I don't make, you know, uh, bake the, the flour and the water in time, what happens? The item becomes hametz. How, in what way is that comparable 
to Tachmitzena, where you made it chametz. So I'll give you an example. How, what would be an appropriate usage of the word Tachmitzena? Let's say as an example, I have uh, a, what's it called? A, uh, uh, a dish. It's cooking on the fire. I take breadcrumbs. I put breadcrumbs in the soup. What have I done? That's Tachmitzena. You've made it chametz. How is this word, this language of just taking it slow, not grabbing opportunity, in what way is that called kachmitzena? Missing it, but also making it chametz. Those two things seem to be opposites to one another. One is an active act of destruction or of ruination, and one is a passive act where you just let something slide long enough until the time, until the time passed. So my friends, I want to share with you two ideas. Two stories, one that happened a long time ago and one that happened now, each one with their own distinct and powerful lesson. There was a rabbi whose name was Rabbi Unger and he was the person who ran the, the Chug Chatam Sofer. He ran this, uh, uh, the Kashrut and the organization uh, that was named after the great scholar, the Hatam Sofer, out of Bnei Brak. There's two, there's one from Bnei Brak and there's one from Petach Tikva. But the one from Bnei Brak, that was uh, his, his organization and, his, uh, and his, uh, uh, his flock. And one day, a man comes to ask the rabbi a question. But the question is not a question of halakha that he needs to do today, tomorrow, this week, next, this year. Rather, he asks a question from the rabbi that took place 50 years before. He has a halakha question on something from 50 years ago. Rabbi is interested. He says, what do you mean? He says, let me tell you. He says, many years ago, I lived in a country called Hungary before I moved to Eretz Israel. And in a span of a very short amount of time, the Nazis marched into Hungary and they took over the entire country. The Jews of Hungary actually did not go through the war in the same way as other places. And uh, our, our history tells us and teaches us that the Jews of Hungary, when they arrived in, in Auschwitz, they had no clue what they were coming to. We have actually images of those Jews arriving in Auschwitz. They came in fur coats. They came with luggage. You know, some of them were tipping the, the Zunderkommando. They were tipping the people on the, on the platform for taking their luggage. They had no clue. So whereas other Jews were arriving from years or two years in the ghetto, Starving already, skeletons already here. It was a very different ballgame. And it was uh, the, the disaster of Hungarian Jewry was very, very swift uh, from beginning to end for them, unfortunately. He says, and that was my story. I found myself in the barracks, he says, with a very, very holy Jew. A Jew whose parents were rabbis, whose grandparents were rabbis, whose great-grandparents came from a long line. And while we were sitting there on the, on the bed together, you know, on the, on the barrack bed together, all the time I would hear him saying the prayers. He would be studying, you know, by heart, what he knew by heart. And he would be lifting my spirits all throughout the time that we were there. One day he turns to me and he says, you know, today, today, tonight, sorry, he said, today is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Soon we have coming up the month of Pesach. He says, so we have vegetables. They give us rotten vegetables, bitter vegetables. We have some of that. He says, we could get our hands on some salty water. He says, but how in the world are we going to get matzot? He says, keep your eyes out. I know you, your job is, you, brings you to different parts of the camp. Keep your eyes out. Maybe you'll find a little bit of grain, a little bit of wheat that we could grind and we could make into matzot. The guy promises his, 
his illustrious and his religious friend, he's going to do what he promised, what he asked him to do. Anyway, he keeps his eyes out. One morning, uh, a few days later, the Americans, uh, or someone had bombed, they sent to drop the bomb on, in, in, uh, in the camp in Auschwitz. And what did they blow up? They blew up the storehouses and they blew up the factories. It's unfortunately one of the big stains on American history is that they had the plans for the death camp. They did not consider blowing up the train tracks or the gas chambers. They did not consider that a priority initially. And instead, what did they blow up? They blew up the factories because that was where they were blowing up the munitions and that was where they were making their money to be able to support the war effort. But that's what they blew up. Anyway, what got blown up when they blew up this area? One of the things that was blown up, that was destroyed, was, a, was this, one of the storehouses. So in the devastation, in the, in the uh, explosion, the guy found a sack of wheat. He couldn't believe it. Now the problem is, even though he's got the wheat, how in the world is he going to get it back into the, into the camp, into the barracks? So he stole a few, little bit of the, you know, however much he stole of the flour or of the, of the uh, grain. He manages to, uh, to, you know, crush it up. He manages to get a piece of, of metal. He sticks it in the fire outside where he's working, where they're working these, uh, the, uh, the ovens that they were making, whatever they were doing. And he gets it red hot. He takes this little paste that he makes and he makes two small matzot, each one the size of a hand. He needs to sneak it back into the camp. He decides the only place he can sneak it, he doesn't have obviously a bag or pockets. He takes these two tiny matzot, they were very thick, so they were, you know, there was more of a kazaid in a smaller surface area. He sticks it underneath his arm, underneath his shirt, and he holds his arm next to his body, and he walks, marches right in to the camp, uh, and they don't notice it. He gets all the way to near the barracks, and unfortunately, the person with the barracks sees that he's walking with one hand like this. He notices, he says, what are you hiding there, Jew? And he picks up his arm and out falls, the two matzot. He gives this guy a beating like you can't believe. He punches him, he kicks him, he uses this, uh, the, the Nazi boots to his head, to his ribs. It's a disaster. And then the man says to the rabbi, he goes, but worse than the beating is I saw that as soon as he finished, he took his boot and he stomped all over the crackers, all over the matzot, breaking them into a million pieces, crushing them into the earth. He says, I rolled over like I was in pain, but I rolled over, he says, on top of the matzot. And I managed to pick up a bit of a handful of the crumbs. And without him noticing, I, you know, I held the crumb with my hand to my face. He didn't think, he didn't think I, would, I would do that. He thought it was, must have been from the beating. And I ran into the barracks. I ran into the barracks. I jumped on my bed. I collapsed on my bed and I fainted. Then my friend... This religious man, this holy man, he ran and he got some water and he put it on my face and he slowly tried to leave, help, pick me up and help me recover. He says, but you cannot imagine, he says, the joy that we felt when I opened up my hands and I showed him that I had in my hand the crumbs of the matzah, that I had managed to save uh, crumbs of the matzah. But the problem was that there was only enough for one kezayit. I fell asleep, I woke up, the next day already was going to be Pesach. And my friend came to me and he said, please. He says, you know how religious I am. You know I never missed a prayer in the, in the barrack, in the, in the camp. You know I've never missed, I skipped any food that even had a, a, even a, a, a thought of being not kosher. You know, uh, what's it called? You know who I am. You know what I, 
He says, please. He says, I know that you, that you brought this matzah, that you made this matzah. He goes, please, please, I beg of you. I never missed the mitzvah of matzah in my life. Please, 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 he says, I'll give you whatever I want, whatever you want for this. So I t- he says, I turned to my friend and I said, what do you have that I want? I don't, have, I don't have anything. He says, please, he says, I'll say all of the, I'll say the Haggadah slowly with you. You'll be able to repeat word for word. I'll take you through everything. I'll have all the kavanot. I'll pray. The guy says, what? he goes, I, he, goes I could, I, he goes, I'll say whatever. He goes, but I, he, nothing the guy could say. He's begging, pleading. Finally, this young man says to his friend, he says, listen, let me eat the matzah. I'll say the, the Haggadah with more kavanah I've ever said in my life. He says, and I'll say all, I'll have all the intentions of the mitzvah like I never had in my life. And not only that, he said, and the reward for the mitzvah of the matzah, he said, it will be yours in Shamayim. But please, he says, let me have the matzah. The guy says, I get the reward for it? He goes, yeah. He gives them the matzah. Together they say the Haggadah, Together they go through the, the entirety of the Manishtana, they say the uh, Ashlusha Devarim, you know, everything the guy says in the Haggadah, Rabbi Yehuda, they do the Beracha, you know, one, only one of them makes a Beracha, and the guy says, Amen. You can imagine. Finally, the said is over. He stays up the whole night, they're talking together of uh, what's it called, of Sipu Yisiyah Misraim. And the very next morning, as they walked outside of the barracks, while he's still murmuring the tefillot of the morning, his friend is shot by a Nazi guard, and he dies on the spot. The man says, you know, 50 years have gone by since that day. I've been, he goes, I managed to get out. I managed to survive. I managed to come to Israel. I managed to build a family. He goes, and he goes, I never, nothing has ever changed my mind about that night. He says, but last night, for the first time in my life, he says, I dreamed of my friend. My friend came to me shining from Gan Eden, and he said, please, he says, I have a request from you. He says, okay, what's the request? He says, up in Shamayim, he says, I have everything. I have all the reward for all the mitzvah I ever did, all the learning, all the wonderful things, and Gan Eden is magnificent and it's beautiful. He says, but there's one mitzvah that I did on this earth that they're not rewarding me for. And I don't have it. And he says, and that's the mitzvah of matzah that you gave me. Please, he says, please, I beg of you, is there any way that you could find in your heart to give me back the reward for the mitzvah of matzah that I did that night? And he begs and he pleads. And in my dream, I told him, no, this is mine. You begged me, you asked me, this was the deal we made. You have to live by the deal. If I would have that mitzvah, then I would have the reward. I gave the mitzvah, you have the reward. But you promised you would give it to me, that was the deal. He was dejected, he was depressed, he was upset, but he had to, and he disappeared. He says, and I woke up, and as you can imagine, he says, I haven't, I haven't been able to sleep since then. He says, I'm coming to you, Rabbi. Tell me, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? What a question, huh? The rabbi says, he says, this is a question that's a bit above my pay grade. (laughs) He says, for an answer for a question like this, he says, you need to go to a tremendous rabbi, a tremendous rebbe. He says, I'm going to send you to this rabbi. His name is the Machnovka Rebbe. He says, I want to send you to him. Ask him this question. He goes to the rabbi 
And he sits down with the rabbi and he tells him the whole story beginning to end. With all the emotion, with all the detail, with the dream. He says, what should I do? Did I do the right thing? And the rabbi turns to him and he says, listen. You know, you want to know what the right thing to do is? What the obligation? The obligation, she says you should have forgiven. You should have forgiven him. You should have given him the reward. The guy says, what are you talking about? He says, if you want to tell me, that I could go the extra mile, you want to tell me extra, 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 fine. He goes, but to tell me that that's the right thing to do, I'm, I did the wrong thing, that's what you're going to tell me? The rabbi says, yes. He says, what, why? He says, think of this man. Think of everything he's had. Every, all the mitzvot he's done. He's in Gan Eden. There's one mitzvah he doesn't have, the mitzvah of matzah. You could do the mitzvah seven times every year. And how many years since then, for 50 years, You've had the mitzvah. This guy was a young man. He dies. How many times did he get the mitzvah of matzah in his whole life? Five times, six times. You could do it for the rest of your life. And not only that, he says, you have children and you have grandchildren. Each of them will get the mitzvah for the rest of their lives. And that's also on your merit. He says, you're going to begrudge him one kezayit of matzah? First of all, I remember when I read this story, I was like, wow. What a, what a shift in perspective. The guy says, okay, Rabbi, if that's what you say, I'll do it. I'm in. Okay. He goes, no. He goes, you don't give up your reward like that. You know, okay. All right, Rabbi, if that's what you say. He says, here are the keys. He says, what keys? He says, these are the keys to the shul, to the uh, Bet Knesset downstairs. Unlock, go into the Bet Knesset, turn on the lights, unlock the Aron Kodesh, Stick your head inside with all the Sifre Torah. Relive and tell the Ribbono Shel Olam the entire story the way you said it to me. Get yourself and relive the night the way it was at that moment. Get to the place of the Achilat Matzah. Be there on the barracks, in the camp, and when you're there and you're feeling it, he says, there, say, and on this mitzvah, I'm mochel, I forgive, I give up my claim my hold on the Sakhar and I return it to this young man, this Kadosh, um, who died Al-Kidush Hashem the next morning, the morning after the Seder. The guy goes down. He relives the whole experience. By the time he's finished, you can imagine, Hadaz, like they say in Hebrew, smartut. He's like a, a rag that you rinse out, you wring out everything from it. He's got nothing left. He doesn't even have enough strength to go upstairs to bring the keys back to the rabbi. He sees the gabai on the way out. He says, here's the keys, bring them upstairs. The gabai takes the keys. He brings them back to the rabbi's head that goes home. The next morning, he comes back to pray in this rabbi's minyan. The rabbi sees him and he says, Rabbi, he says, I did it. I did it. I did what you said. I did the whole thing. The rabbi says, okay, beautiful. Hazaku baruch. What a wonderful thing you did. What a special thing you did. The rabbi, so he, you know, the guy turns around to walk away. The rabbi says, come here. And he tells him the most beautiful thing ever. He says, I want you to learn a lesson. And in my opinion, maybe this lesson is worth even more than the Gan Eden that he gave up. He says, this young boy, all he did you told me was say Tehillim and pray and study in Auschwitz. All he thought of was mitzvot. All he attempted to do was give you chizuk, 
This is a guy who lived his life He goes, we cannot begin to imagine what his portion in Olam Haba is like. The guy says, okay. He says, and I want you to realize that he left all of that to come down to earth, which our rabbis tell us is an incredibly painful experience for the Nishama, to leave, to come down to this place. He left all of it for what? With all the mitzvot he had, with all the portion God had that he had, to come back to beg on his hands and knees for the reward for one more mitzvah. Do you realize now, he says, how precious each and every single and solitary mitzvah is? How much it's worth? All he did was mitzvot. But he needed that one more. Ushmartem, you shall guard the mitzvot. Because mitzvah, you can't let it become chametz. What does that mean? It means, my friends, that if a person does not guard, if he's not looking after the mitzvot, if he's not guarding his tefillot, he's not guarding his Talmud Torah, then he makes the mitzvah chametz. He ruins the mitzvah. The very act of not guarding it is ruining it. Can I give you a simple example? I want you to imagine for one second a person who takes the most magnificent, the most beautiful, the most precious piece of artwork that ever existed. By the way, art is worth much more than diamonds and much more than jewels. You have a painting from Picasso, it could be $50 million. You know, are there, well, sorry? 500 million, he's telling me. There's pieces of artwork that you can't buy. More than a diamond, more than gold, more than platinum. I want you to imagine a guy who has a Picasso and he's not, he doesn't have it in a frame, bulletproof, in a case, right? How does he have it? He's, he has the canvas, he's wearing around his shoulders like a talit. If the guy is not guarding it, if it's not in a case, if it's not in a, you know, you know with protected, then it's clear that the person doesn't understand its value. And the very act of not guarding it is in and of itself the ruining of that mitzvah. Because it means you're not going to protect it. What will happen if you wear it over your shoulders? It's going to tear. It's going to smudge. It's going to get in the rain. It's going to get ruined. So the act of not guarding, the act of not understanding the value of a mitzvah is in and of itself the ruining of that mitzvah. What a wonderful thing. My friends, I want to end with this midrash and tell you something that happened yesterday. The midrash tells us that Am Yisrael is compared to fish. You're all familiar with this. Where are we compared to fish? Anyone know? In the Berachav Yaakov Avinu. Okay, what does it say? You forgot the words in Hebrew? V'yidgu larov bekerev V'yidgu means they should be plentiful like fish. Why like fish? The rabbis explain one simple idea is, because the fish are under the water, ayin hara does not uh, rest on them. But a much deeper idea is based on the Midrash. The Midrash says that the Jewish people are like fish. Why? If you're a fisherman, you know, you know something that people who are not fishermen don't know. If you're not a fisherman, could you think of a worse thing in the world to do than go fishing in the rain? You're just sitting there, you're getting soaking wet. It's with the thing, you don't know how long it's going to take. Miserable. Right? If you're not a fisherman, you want to go on a beautiful day, you want to go with a beer, you want to be with friends out on the lake. Okay. You're a fisherman, you know, best time to go fishing is when it's raining. Why? Huh? Because the fish come up. Why do they come up? Because the raindrops, as the raindrops come, 
The fish come to come catch, so to speak, the raindrops. So too says the Midrash. You're sitting in an ocean of water. But if there's one more raindrop coming, what do you do as a fish? All he has is water. And what is he going to grab? One more drop. So to the Jewish people who have mitzvot karimon, who have 630 mitzvot, but a new mitzvah comes along, everybody wants a piece. I tell someone sometimes about a mitzvah, oh, you don't know, we had this guy, they were going to cremate him, they didn't have the money for the burial, I spoke to a few guys, I got the money together, we buried the guy, kidat v'kidin, a Jewish burial. What does the guy tell me? Rabbi, how come you didn't call me? How come you didn't call? Rabbi, next time you know, I'm always on the list. You should know I have a short list of people I call with interesting mitzvot that come my way, big zechuyot. I put out the I put out the little the APB, but not APB for everybody. All points bulletin, APB right for a, my specific listing of people that I know. Who do I like to call people that I know can't bear to think that they lost out on the mitzvah? Those are the people that I call. Okay, now listen to this. Okay, this idea, this idea of a of a fish grabbing a mitzvah, seeing as precious the extra drop, even though they're surrounded, like this soul in heaven that comes down, even though it's got everything for one more mitzvah. The reverse fish move from Shamayim to Aretz. Yesterday at 1227, 12.27, I'm having a conversation. My conversation is with a young man who's responding to a post that I put on social media. I put out a post that the, in the synagogue over here, we are giving things away. What are we giving away? What's our giveaway? We're not giving away money. We don't want people to come follow us for, the, for money or for fame or for power. What's the gift we're giving? Not a trip to Disneyland. We're giving away 10 taletot we have. We have pairs of tefillin. We have mezuzot. If a person can't afford to do the mitzvah and they're willing to do the mitzvah every day, there's talet tefillin, mezuzah upstairs with your name on it. So we're giving these gifts away to people from the Be'er Knesset, from people who want to do this mitzvah, to give to people who can't afford to do the mitzvah. 1227, I get, I'm in this conversation with a young man, I don't want to say his name, okay? He tells me I have a friend in Baltimore, he just came from another country, he doesn't have the money to be able to get together, the, the tefillin, he's borrowing tefillin, I want to get him a pair of tefillin. While I'm talking to him, I get a notification. At exactly the same moment, 1227, a notification comes in, please, Dachilak Rabbi, I would like to be able to sponsor that pair of tefillin in the memory of my brother who passed away, Selim Ben Dina. You may have seen this uh, in the community. This guy, they called him Stefano, Esses. Okay? Selim Ben Dina, passed away this week. We want to get him that mitzvah. So while I'm talking to the person who needs it, the person who wants to give it is messaging me at the same time. <clears throat> I said, oh my gosh. I have the tefillin for you. Sunday morning, uh, you, they have someone going back. We're going to send the tefillin back. The person's going to have tefillin. They'll put it on every day. It'll be a zakhut. The family reaches out to me and they tell me that's not the end of the story. They called the rabbi, the Chabad rabbi, where he lives, who he was in contact with. And this man, this Stefano, who passed away, he had just called the Chabad rabbi right before he passed away. And he said to the rabbi, Rabbi, I need your help. What was the last phone call he made to the rabbi? Rabbi, he said, please, I need you to check my tefillin. 12.27. This is how the Jewish people relate to mitzvot. We grab every last one. And you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranges 
that for the people who want a mitzvah so bad, that they want to be mekayim, they want the zechut for their, for their son, they want the zechut for their brother, they want the zechut for them. What happens? Hashem makes sure that the guy asks right when you're offering it. He puts the two people together. You have one guy whose last mitzvah in the world is going to be the mitzvah of matzah. Who does God make sure is his bunkmate in Auschwitz? The one guy who's going to see the wheat, the one guy who's going to grind the wheat, the one guy who when push came to shove is going to give him the mitzvah, and the one guy on earth, I don't know a single other person, who 50 years later, when he comes to him in a dream and asks him for the reward back, he gave him not only the mitzvah, but the reward too. When a person, they guard the mitzvot this way, if you guard it, suddenly HaKadosh Baruch Hu enables you to do the mitzvot, to be the person, a sadiq of the level that you could only ever have imagined. And Be'ezrat Hashem, those zechuyot should transfer from father to son, from mother to daughter, to build our houses, L'Shem Buteferet, to build Bate Ne'eman Israel. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.